I have some uh, concerns I've meant to mention before the prayer, but I have to make sure that I mention now. First of all, three different people from our body because of the disconnect that we're experiencing. You may not know. Don Graves has been getting treatment for leukemia, and he called me this or texted me this week to say that for the first time that his doctor used the word remission. So he was celebrating and asked you to celebrate with him. And then you may know that Anna Matheny, who's been a part of our church for many, many years and taught at Grace Academy, led countless children to Christ, has been in the hospital. She has apparently had a, a number of very, very minor strokes. She is not in ICU any longer, but Walt asked for prayers for her to gain alertness and interaction with those around her. She's conscious but still struggling to regain, and they're still trying to understand what's caused all of this. And finally, one of the most sobering calls I've gotten in a long time, John Sherrick has been a part of Grace for decades and has taught four- and five-year-old children generation after generation after generation. And he called me and said that he has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, because of his age, uh, he is choosing at this point not to pursue treatment, but instead to um, seek to... Um, end his life as well as he can. We'd appreciate your prayers for his wife, Etna, and their sons, all of whom are grown, but all who grew up at Grace. It's a sobering time, uh, and it's hardest because we can't be there together with them, and I would appreciate your prayers for it. Uh, this, this whole odd episode in our lives is, is driven by the sickness that we call the coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, one person called and said, uh, I know why it's uh, called COVID-19 because I'm gaining about five pounds a week and I'll be at 19 soon. I'm hoping it doesn't go over COVID-19. It, it is a disease that has been like nothing else we've ever experienced in our country. And of course, there are all kinds of debates about it. But the reality is that it has clearly devastated populations in places like New York City and Wuhan and Italy. And I was talking to a doctor friend of mine whom I've known since my college days. Joe McElhaney was an uh, outstanding uh, OB gynecology doctor in Austin who started uh, ministries as related to women's health and has uh, once again gotten involved in important issues related to women's health. And, and he was talking about that tension as a medical professional because on one level, obviously, we've got to protect people. We, we must care for their physical needs. We don't want a pandemic that takes out 90,000 people the way the Spanish flu did in the early 20th century. But on the other hand, Dr. McElhaney brought up the fact that uh, the stress of unemployment, the stress of financial problems, the stress of alienation at home causes very real physical issues as well. And, and many of us have come to understand that, that this is not a neutral thing. Uh, it's, we don't do well with change, and, and we certainly don't do well when there's a threat for our health, our well-being, our, our financial health for the long-term future. So we decided it would be good to take some time to do some sermons that were directly related to how do you manage the pandemic? Well, how, do you, how do you walk through these times, and how does it affect the different areas of our lives? And, and Kevin and Lucas and I will be preaching on different issues that I think are important as Christians as we ask ourselves, how would the Lord have us respond? The first one today is just how do you stay healthy? 
and, and by that I mean emotionally and spiritually. How do, you, how do you go on through life in light of all this? I'm sure you know that stress itself can cause very significant problems in people's lives. First of all, the obvious, uh, we can either eat too much or eat too little. It often affects our eating and sleeping patterns. It causes some to turn to alcohol and drugs. Um, and it can create all kinds of nervous behaviors. But more seriously, it can move toward anxiety and depression, uh, restlessness, moodiness, um, even a loss of confidence, even though on one level the fact that this is going on shouldn't affect my confidence, it somehow does. Stress is an incredibly significant factor in our lives, and especially at a time like this when our whole world has been so radically changed. So I'd like to go through three areas of advice that, that Scripture teaches that I think will equip us to manage better the circumstances of this stress. The first one is what we tend to think of as practical advice. Now, first of all, uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie, who taught at Dallas Seminary for many years, Liz Anthony's dad, he wrote the Ryrie Study Bible, which tells you something. He, he used to say uh, all theology is practical and, and was offended whenever we tried to distinguish between that which is practical and that which is theological. He said by its very nature, theology is practical. But we still kind of create this distinction in our minds between those things that are day-to-day -day details of life and those things that are higher and more spiritual. So when I say practical advice, I mean rest and diet and exercise and quiet. In other words, those things that we should do in our lives to take care of our physical health, which also affect our spiritual and emotional health. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Apostle Paul and Scripture throughout teaches that our physical reality is a part of a spiritual reality. It's really Greek thought that's made a separation in that. The Hebrews never separated it the way we do. Instead, they understood that what you eat and how you sleep affects your spiritual life. So, for instance, rest. One of the things you'll read from all kinds of sources is that we have to maintain sleep and get rest. And some would say, well, that's just a practical thing. Isn't it interesting that one of the Ten Commandments was related to a Sabbath rest. And, and when you read through the Old Testament, you see how important that is. And when you look at the example of Jesus, how often he would go away and, in the midst of what was really times of incredible influence when the crowds were coming and he would separate away and be quiet and get some rest. Diet. Well, does that really matter spiritually? Well, the Old Testament, you have the kosher laws. And the kosher laws, while mainly teaching the separation of that which is um, not a part of God's will and that which is his, in other words, it, it taught about what was holy and what is not, uh, there is an interesting overlay of the kosher laws of ways in which they taught health, physical health, by virtue of, of abiding by a good diet. And the apostles in the epistles will at times address issues of what we eat and drink as ways to relate to our physical health. Exercise. Uh, well, the apostle Paul did use exercise as a metaphor for the spiritual life. 
but I can't find anywhere that he tells us how many push-ups to do or how, how many miles to run. But what we do know is in the passage I read from 1 Corinthians 9 is that our physical bodies are a part of our worship of God. The Holy Spirit claims the rights to our physical bodies when we become uh, children of God, and we therefore have a responsibility to, to take care of our physical bodies so that we are effective in serving God. It is, it is in many ways childish not to care for ourselves physically. And finally, quiet. Uh, maybe the one that these circumstances have given us the most freedom to do Unless we have small children, we're locked at home with them. Then, then, then maybe it's not so quiet. But, but we've been forced to have time where we can create spaces in our day. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. Uh, there's, there's an interesting emphasis in, in Scripture about the place for quiet, for for calming down. Uh, we in Dallas live a frenetic lifestyle. In fact, we brag about how busy we are as if somehow that makes us important. But the reality is that that frenetic activity oftentimes crowds out thoughts about our Lord and about those we love. And Scripture teaches that there is a place for quiet in all of our lives. So, I could read from a number of Psalms. Let me read just a couple. Uh, Psalm 119.27, cause me, uh, Lord, to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on all your wonderful deeds. In other words, there is a place for being quiet and just thinking about all that God has done for you. You think, well, that's gratitude. But I think it's more than that. It is, it is going deeper into the reality of the way God has demonstrated his love for us. And, and when we check that off a prayer list, it has much less effect than when, when we take time in quiet to consider God's works. Later on in verse 48 of Psalm 119, I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. There's a huge emphasis on meditation on God's Word. Because, the, again, the more we go into what he has to say to us, the more aware we are of who he is and all that he's done for us. Um, so that the Apostle Paul, for instance, 2 Thessalonians 3.12, um, we urge certain people in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down. Settle down. Be quiet. And I think one of the things I've heard most from people is how much they, they're grateful that this has given us an opportunity to slow down from our lives. Now, if you're slowing down because you have no work, you have no income, I'm not in any way trying to minimize that. But I'm saying one of the ways that we deal with the stress and the difficulties of this is, is force ourselves to be quiet, which means turning off screens uh, and and turning our attention to things in life that have real value, and especially all of who God is and all that God has done and what God's Word says to each of us. Kevin Gilliland is one of the many really outstanding um, 
counselors in our church. I started counting up the Christian counselors in our church, and I realized uh, it was beyond five fingers on one hand, so I lost touch. But, but Kevin was on TV the other day, and he said, Feud is, food is fuel, sleep is power, movement is medicine. Uh, in other words, all of these practical things are part of God's healing process for each of us so that we are foolish when we underestimate just the practical good that comes from doing these things because our mind and our body and our spirit are one. And if we neglect our health, if we neglect our peace, if we neglect our hearts, it affects all of our Christian life. So the, the first thing... It's what we call practical advice. Rest, diet, exercise, quiet. To, if we want to respond to these times of difficult stress, we need to carve out the time we need um, to build mental, spiritual, and emotional health. The second one is probably the one you thought I would talk about, and that's prayer. Because it's like, Jesus. It's one of those eternal answers to all Christian questions. What should we do? Well, I'm sure we should pray about it. And, and we say that because it's absolutely true. Um, I'm going to go to the passage that's most familiar on this, Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your work. Don't be anxious about your health. Don't be anxious about your money. Don't be anxious about your family. You think, Paul, really? How do you say that? He says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There we live in a time when anxiety has become epidemic, much, much higher proportion than COVID. The reality is anxiety medicines are, are being dispensed in our society at monumental numbers because with the stress of the way we live, uh, people have become more and more anxious. And part of the issue is we, we realize how little of life we actually control. So the way you respond to that is you go to the one who is ultimately in control. See, uh, we feel anxiety because we realize that we aren't in control of things. But, but we settle anxiety by going to the one who is in control. And, and that is through the discipline of telling him exactly how we feel. I, I grew up with the understanding, no one taught me this, I just kind of assumed it, that that you kind of had to be careful what you told God. You didn't want to say something that offended him because after all, he's God and, and that didn't go well with teachers, so why would it go well with God? And, and so I, I grew up in those, that kind of world where your prayers were polite and appropriate. Uh, but reading the Psalms and then going through difficulties in my own life changed my perspective because as I was going through times that were intensely difficult, and I would go to the Psalms to see how those great poets of the Old Testament responded to their difficulties. What I found out was they had no holds barred. They, they were not afraid to speak to God of the injustices they experienced, of the frustrations they had, the fears they had, the struggles with faith. And it finally clicked. He already knows. 
when I, when I come to the conclusion that if I don't tell him somehow we'll all be better off, it, it's amazingly naive to think that if I hadn't told him, God doesn't know. The reality is God does know. He knows exactly the thoughts I'm having. He knows, according to Scripture, that I'll have them before I have them. He knew them from eternity past. He, he is not surprised like we are. And so uh, the point of prayer is, is not to fill in the blanks for God that he somehow missed. The point of prayer is to have fellowship and experience the care of the one who not only loves us enough to give his son, but is in control so we can cast all our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. Prayer is an exercise of, of speaking to those issues that make us anxious and fearful and test our faith and, and, and experiencing him bathing those with his love. Now, sometimes uh, another misunderstanding I had about this is I thought I, you, you pray about it once and then you're done with it. You know, you, you have a concern, you pray about it once, and, and then you don't have to go back to that one again. You checked it off your list. The, but life really doesn't work that way, does it? If you're praying for your children, uh, one man that had a big impact on me as a younger man had four grown children, sons, and he said, wow, man, you never wean them. In other words, you, you never get to the point where you stop being concerned for your kids. There's not one prayer for your children. It is a daily and continual prayer for your children. Your, our health, our family, our careers, our testimony, all of those things are daily prayers. And just like the anxiety creeps back in on a daily, sometimes hourly or moment-by-moment -moment basis, so we cover them with prayer at the same rapidity. And doing so, we are reminded again of just how much he cares. And he gives a peace that transcends all understanding, that can guard our hearts and minds from going in a direction that's negative. I've, I've told many times about a period in my life when I particularly struggled. I was unemployed. Uh, we owned two houses. We were making house payments on it. And our children were small. It was, it was like m the time that many are going through right now. And I invariably would go to sleep, but then around three, I would wake up. And before I'd gone to sleep, I would have read the Psalms and, and recited them and repeated them and prayed them. But when I woke up at three, anxious and fearful and angry, it, it, the Lord brought the meaning of those Psalms back to me. And I would pray them all over again and say, Lord, uh, like Israel wrestling the angel of God, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And, and after a few moments, sometimes a lot of few moments, he, he would give a peace. And I would get up the next day and I'd do what I needed to do and go through the circle all over again at 3 o'clock the next morning. We'd be up together. We'd be together, the Lord and me. Julie would be sleeping, but the Lord and I would be there and we would be praying together and struggling together. And again, I would say, Lord, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And he would put me quietly back to sleep with the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Because it transcends understanding because my circumstances didn't change. That was the hard part. The part with prayer as one of the solutions for this is that the response to my requests is rarely immediate. 
But the peace can be. See, we pray hoping that God will answer our request immediately. But God promises that when we pray, He will give us peace immediately, and then He will answer according to His perfect will and perfect time. So that oftentimes, the point of prayer isn't, isn't just to make a list so that God can check through it and gain our pleasure. The, the, the point of it is in, in fellowship with Him, in shipping with Him, to experience the calm that He brings because of the assurance we have that He loves us completely and cares for us deeply and that he, His will is perfect and His timing is above reproach and that in His time He will answer them according to His perfect will. It's interesting to me that Paul in Philippians 4 then goes to our thought life. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In addition to that time of, of prayer where we seek the blessing of God that comes in His peace, the rest of our days we need to guard our thought life. It's one of the reasons screen time can be such a negative thing. You can spend time strolling through Facebook or, or, or looking at news stories or reading social media or whatever it is, and, and, and your thought life uh, takes a, a direction that ultimately draws you down completely. And, and that's why there's a place for being intentional about what you think about. That's why things of beauty, art, music, Nature can be so valuable. Julie and I have loved taking walks through all of this time. We moved to a neighborhood that has bad trees. So since we only moved in a mile and a half, we walk into our old neighborhood. We get to wave at our old neighbors and, and walk along. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, as we've all calmed down, suddenly people have gotten friendlier. It's almost like we're in the country. People are actually waving now. Now, they don't know how to do an East Texas way. In East Texas, when you're driving your pickup and you pass someone, you do an index finger wave. That's all you need. Sometimes two fingers if you're really going crazy, if you're an extrovert. But typically just one finger. That's, that's the East Texas wave. And, and our old neighborhood hadn't figured that out. But, but it's amazing how getting out and being in nature and being quieter and breathing fresh air, which is fresher, uh, can, can bring... A change of heart, not only how we view ourselves, but how we view our neighbor. Thinking about those positive things can truly change our lives. And notice how those two things are intertwined. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Uh, those practical issues of rest and meditation and quiet are, are intended to be inner acted upon by a continual prayer life that's constantly pushing things to God. That emotional, mental, spiritual discipline is how we allow God to transform that inner man, that inner woman. Uh, part of what we're doing in praying is we're acknowledging that we're really not in control anyway. Maybe that's one of the reasons prayer can be hard is because because if we truly pray, we have to let go of our white-knuckled grip on all of our lives and, and acknowledge that God is truly in control. Now, now, if you view prayer incorrectly, then you're still in control because you're giving God a to-do list of what He needs to do. 
But, but when you understand that God is sovereign and in control and in His love will do what's best for you, what you're really doing is you're passing those issues to Him, acknowledging that He's the one in control. Um, and one of the reasons this time is so hard is because we're reminded of just how little c- control we have in life. Uh, when I think of the struggle of being in losing control, I, I think back to a conversation I had a long time ago. It was with a camp counselor of an outstanding Christian camp. We had been there at family camp, and out of the blue, one of the counselors who was a college student called me and said, will you have lunch with me? And I said, I'd love to. And we met at a restaurant for lunch, and, and he was handsome, and he was athletic, and he was cut and he was I mean he was I really didn't like him he he was one of those people that just had everything together and we talked and as so often happens I'm the whole time wondering why are we having lunch you seem perfect and then he dropped the bomb he said well I probably ought to let you know I'm I'm bulimic I I I have eating disorders. I said, really? I would have never guessed that. First of all, eating disorders typically are more common among females than males. And, and certainly, he didn't look like someone who had eating disorders. So, I said, tell me about it. He said, well, first, let me tell you, I, 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 when I went away to school, he went to a large agricultural mechanical school here in Texas. And, and he said, when I decided I was going to go to school, my, my mother went down before me and, and she picked where I was going to live. And, and she, she picked where I was going to go to church. And she made a list of all of my arrangements and, and came back and told me exactly where I'd live, where I'd go to church. And she had everything taken care of. So that when I went down there, all I had to do was just do what she told me. I thought, wow, that's kind of a lot. I, I think my parents waved as I drove off to go to Austin. Uh, when you have daughters, you go, I learned, and you pick out bedspreads and things like that for the dorm room. When you have sons, at least in my example, they waved and said, call and let us know where you're living. It, it's one of those little, little differences. But even for any parent, this seemed kind of extreme to go and give him a list of all the things he was going to do to make sure he had a happy life. And we came back and I said, well, how does this eating disorder come into it? He said, well, it's the one thing my mother can't control. And, and as we talked, I said, well, why do you think you have it? He said, I don't know. I think I need to give it to Christ. And, and I remember finally looking at him saying, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a son of a psychologist. There's a lot I don't know. But you yourself said that it's a part of your struggle with control with your mother. Is it possible that part of the reason you have this eating disorder is is to demonstrate to your mother that she may choose where you live and where you go to church, but she can't control that? He said, no, 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 that's not it. I said, but you just said that was it. He said, I no, it's it's something spiritual. See, in many ways, there's nothing more spiritual than the debate over who controls our lives. In many ways, that is the battle of the spiritual life, deciding who's in control. And, And when we pray, part of what we're doing is forcing ourselves to acknowledge that much of life we can't control, but God ultimately controls it all. Which 
leads me to the final point and the one that I feel most strongly about. The Spirit in our lives. If you turn to Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, as context, he says, Galatians 5, 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, free from the law, is the emphasis of the book of Galatians, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It's interesting, in times of stress, one of the things that we do is we turn on those people that are closest to us. And, and he reminds us that in the freedom that comes from the law, we still have a responsibility to live what is called the law of Christ, to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Look at verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and provoking and envying each other. What struck me is when you look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's exactly the things we long for in times of stress. We long the comfort of love. I pray especially for those in the church who are isolated, who live alone, uh, because they, they don't have the opportunity to experience uh, that physical nature of being close to people that love them. And the staff is trying to make sure that we reach out to those folks because it, it can be, we all need to experience love. We, we need joy. Uh, we, we need to experience that 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 bubbling joy that, that is uh, the outgrowth of a heart that's at peace with God. We need peace, that wholeness, the, the shalom of the Old Testament, that, that sense of well-being that comes from being in a right place with God. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You look at that list, and it's kind of the shopping list that all of us seek, isn't it? In the midst of these kind of times. And so while certainly we should take the practical steps of getting rest and eating well and all those other things, and especially we should spend time in prayer and, and allowing God to speak to our hearts and give us peace by demonstrating we understand that He's ultimately in control. We, we live it out in many ways by walking with the Spirit. Keeping in step 
with the Spirit. J.I. Packer, the great uh, Anglican theologian, uh, had the chance to meet him years ago. He taught my Sunday school class when I was at a Presbyterian church. It was absolutely delightful. He doesn't have an East Texas accent, and he's really smart. It was just so much fun, and he had just finished writing uh, Knowing God, which I think is a classic. Since then, he's written a book called Keep in Step with the Spirit, which I think is one of the better books about the Spirit although I disagree with certain points of it. It is, it is a beautiful book because he takes hold of this metaphor of what it is to live in fellowship with God. It's to keep in step with the Spirit. It's to walk along with Him. It, it's to enjoy the experience of fellowship that comes from awareness of His presence and a submission to as well. In other words, to, to walk with the Spirit is, is the way we daily live out, moment by moment experience what it is to, to live in the fellowship with God and, and to submit ourselves to His will. Now, I've heard people preach on the fruit of the Spirit and where they said, you can't do anything to make those happen. You just pray and ask the Spirit to do that. The problem I have with that is we are clearly responsible not to do the acts of the flesh in verse 19 and 20. And, and if we have a responsibility not to do those things, then somehow we have a responsibility also to practice the fruit of the Spirit. And as we do it, as we walk in fellowship with Him, He encourages those very uh, things to become alive in us. So as, as we learn what it is to walk step by step in honoring the Spirit of God, and recognizing His truth, then, then we love better. And, and letting go of that need to control and, and trusting the one who is control uh, can give us joy and peace and patience. And because we're not grasping for those things, but trusting a loving God to provide those things that we need, we can be gentle and kind and treat other people in a way that brings healing. And rather than worrying about controlling everyone or everything about us, our focus is instead is controlling ourselves. Not by sheer will, but in submission to the Spirit of God in our lives. So, I certainly believe we should take those practical steps. And I certainly believe we should pray. But can I suggest to you, this is a remarkable opportunity to learn what it is to walk with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to live our lives as if we're on a long stroll, but never alone, in, in companionship with the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, that, that person whom Jesus said, when He comes, it'll be better than if I were here with you. And that is, as we walk in fellowship with Him, He, he supplies those very issues that we most need. Uh, see, the young man that I had lunch with, he, he, he was trying to wrench control of his life from his mom. But his, his mistake was that in gaining control himself, he was bringing destructive behavior, those, those acts of the flesh. 
God's desire is that as we walk in the assurance and the fellowship of God's love and as we walk along with the Holy Spirit through these difficult times with that sense of awareness of His presence and dependence on His love and His power and His strength, as, as we live life on that walk with Him, He gives us that fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. It's interesting, I, I lately have been thinking a lot about the metaphors that Scripture uses. We, we, in our Western minds, are continually trying to make outlines of truths and, and categorize them and systematize them. But Scripture loves word pictures. And when it describes the Holy Spirit, it speaks of Him in John chapter 3 as a wind. And He blows where He wants. And we can feel his effect, and we don't know exactly what he's doing, but his power is inestimable. Today, I'd ask you, are you walking with him? Are you living with an awareness of the presence of the Spirit of God? And by doing that, are you experiencing the peace and the joy and the love that He would use to change our very hearts. This is a time when followers of Christ have the opportunity not just to survive this time, but to be changed by it because we do it in the presence of the Holy Spirit who uses these circumstances to reshape our hearts so that we reflect the very character of God. That's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for the body of Christ. If you will, please join me as we pray. Father, thank you that your plan is big enough for whatever our circumstances. And we thank you that you care about all of our lives, what we eat, whether we exercise, but you, because uh, all of that is a part of your love. But you also care that we experience what it is to walk with you. And Father, I pray that as we go through these times, the difficulties that come from them, that you would make yourself real to us as we live our lives in step with you, and that you would reshape us so that love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the fruit of our lives by virtue of your Spirit. It's in your Son's name who gave himself on our behalf that we pray. Amen.